Hey friends, back with another instalment of the Unhindered Podcast. I got to go away on a short holiday with my extended family, my siblings. We all caught up in Shell Harbour and boy, just a glorious time. Can I tell you that I'm not sure there's much better than the short getaway, the short break. Um, getting in the car, like all the all the time pressure leading up to that, it kind of condenses all your energy and focus. You get ultra focused on completing tasks that perhaps you'd put off because you're going away. So now all of a sudden there's a deadline. You're using Parkinson's law, which says work gets done and the amount of time given for its completion. So if you give yourself two weeks to do a task, it'll take you two weeks. If you give yourself two hours, well, you've got to get it done. And so that arbitrary deadline of I've got to get these things done before I go away so that when I go away, I don't have to think about these things. It's a great value. So cramming everything in before Thursday afternoon, clocking off, going to bed, thinking, wow, got all that done. I can wake up with a clean head in the morning. And then packing the car, getting on the road, and then out the driveway, kids in the car, dogs in the car, bikes on the back, jam-packed to the ceiling with all kinds of fun things. And then that first coffee stop, and that first sip of coffee, and the headphones in, or, or tunes in the car, and it's like, okay, all of a sudden now the air is different. Who changed the air? It's different. It feels different it tastes different it smells different it is different and i am different i am now a different person i'm holiday jamin holiday jamin is very different than work jamin so i was watching myself have an amazing experience of being on holidays and look the short break is something that that cat and i do really well as as well so there's a number of these things that happen throughout the year but watching myself have these experiences just deconstructing it going okay um this is around state management. And when I learned the idea that state is king, it changed my life. It really did. Uh, and the curse of knowledge is a really fascinating thing for people who are experts in any field because if you're so devoted to a subject area and it's all you think about and write about and read about and talk about and uh, devote your life to you know, really nuanced thinking about it, it can be really difficult to remember what it's like to not know this stuff, to go back to a time before you knew what you knew. And so uh, useful for me to recap the state management idea as I first discovered it. Because if you're not aware that there are levers that you have direct access and control over that alter your state, and when you are in a beautiful state, you have access to a different version of yourself on that different version of yourself is the one most aligned to the goals you want if you don't know how that works well you kind of at a distinct disadvantage from the people who do so i wanted to recap just the simple mechanics of state management how it works now you might already be accustomed to this and familiar with this practice and it'll be a chance for you to refine your thinking and take it even deeper but you might not be familiar with this idea at all so I call this idea state is king uh, and, and basically, I mean, you can find the full description of this in Elegantly Simple Solutions to Complex People Problems if you'd like the, the complete explanation. But uh, let me explain it to you as simply as I can. Um, so, so let's talk about this within the coaching frame, which is 
governed and and referenced by outcomes. So Coaching 101 is what do you want? So it's a great place to start and end always. It's the most powerful and important question in the world. It's the adult question. What do you want? So let's start there. So if you you get clear around something that you desire, um, then the immediate reflection is, well, that is what I want, but it is not what I have. So I'm separate from what I want somehow. It's a, it's a way off. It's in the distance. It's in the future. It's not now. And so the common thinking would be that all that separates you from what you want is action. And so the question would be, what would I need to do to get more of what I want? However, while that might be the most common question, that's the trap question. That's the trick question. That's the question that doesn't actually solve the problem. So despite what the celebrities and gurus and authors tell you, the only thing separating you between where you are and where you want to be is not hard work. It's not action. This is not an action problem. It's not a discipline problem. Because uh, if you've been on that road for any length of time, you'll realize that there's a magical force field that locks you out of your outcomes just by working hard. You've already been working hard, doing the do, trying hard, being better, using discipline and energy and effort and focus to get what you want, and you still don't have it. So uh, that road's blocked. So when you realize that road's blocked, it's it's a big discovery, a beautiful discovery, because it means you can then take the longer road, but the only road that actually works. So that road takes a detour by focusing on something that has nothing to do with outcomes, but everything to do with state. Because when you realize that the state you're in is the thing that most determines the outcomes you achieve, then it it changes your life. Every different state produces very different results. When you're in a great state, you do your best work. You think the clearest. You are most creative. You're most confident. When you're in a poor state, you are least confident. You do your worst work. You make the most mistakes. You are very, very different people and have access to very, very different resources based on the state you're in. And not just you, by the way, um, everyone in the world. Uh, Sports stars kind of know this. This is bread and butter for elite athletes. Um, They kind of realize that it really matters how they prepare for a game. It's not just nutrition and stretching. It is state management. They must psych themselves up. They must prepare their mind. They must be in the zone because if they're not, they're locked out of their ability to perform. An athlete can be described as being out of form and all that, that's a state management issue. That's all that's being described. They're the same player with the same skills. They just can't access it because they're in the wrong state. So if state is king, then how do you change state? If that's the thing that matters most, the thing that's most important in terms of accessing outcomes, how do you you change state? Well, back to this idea of paying attention to something that has nothing to do with outcomes and everything to do with state and and that is rituals so rituals are life-giving practices that are not directly connected to what you want but definitely directly connected to being in a state which gives you which gives you access to what you want and disciplines by contrast are hard work activities that are directly linked to outcomes and have no reference to state so if you're a David Goggins fan, you'll hear him constantly talk about the fact that feelings don't matter. It does not matter how you feel. It does not matter what state you're in. 
just stay hard just be better than your state just override your emotional state your your feelings you know, don't wait for motivation just go get it done so uh like i don't know when it became a good idea to take advice from soldiers about how to be human um because i you know he is a good soldier well done and yep that makes sense for soldiers to not pay attention to feelings but it's the only context where it makes sense certainly does not give you any advantage when it comes to being a human self-discipline is a brutally unkind and unsustainable way of thinking about motivation so thankfully there's a better way so by paying attention to rituals life-giving practices not connected to outcomes but entirely connected to state then you're zigging when others are zagging. <clears throat> so, for instance, say, um, you know, the outcome is to run a marathon. Uh, the ritual might be to start your day listening to music. Now, obviously, listening to music does not in any way, shape or form improve your aerobic capacity, your endurance levels, doesn't strengthen muscles. However, the music you listen to may create such a lovely state that while you're in that state, all you want to do is go run. You feel really motivated to go access that goal. So uh, rituals are the thing. Rituals are life-giving practices. Now, uh, anchors also relate to state management ideas. Anchors are sensual links to state so they're not rituals in then they're not practices they are taste touch smell sight sound so a direct sensual link into a state so something you smell or listen to or touch and the brain is always looking for shortcuts so smell is the most powerful anchor smell can link you to an experience you had 30 years ago and be undiluted still be as powerful as the day you first smelt that if you catch waft of wattle for instance even though you haven't lived in australia for 30 years you are back in your childhood smelling that and being in the same emotional state you were having the same experience with the same memories rituals and anchors uh, now also within your state management levers are language physiology and focus and you can incorporate language physiology and focus with rituals and anchors if you'd like to get clever around this so every state is already the combination of what you're paying attention to the words you're using and the physiology you are experiencing so every state um, looks and feels a different way sounds a different way and pays attention to certain things so if you if you make any adjustments to your focus your language and your physiology you also adjust your state by default um, so the piece in the puzzle i'd love to draw your attention to most is is why why is it so hard if this makes sense and state is king then why it wasn't why doesn't everyone live like this well it turns out that self-discipline is still culturally celebrated and makes the most sense and people are addicted to doing uh, and tie their identity to what they're able to do and so paying attention to rituals and anchors is very counter intuitive and very countercultural. So, so it does require permission from yourself to go this way. No one else is going to give you permission to practice rituals. They don't feel like they matter. They feel indulgent or a waste of time and money. So you have to be internally referenced. That's the key. That is the adult piece of the puzzle. A child can only be externally referenced, but an adult is about 
referencing your own opinion. You work out how to drive a car, you work out how to feed yourself, you work out how to earn your own money. So it's also within your ability to work out how to listen to yourself, how to trust yourself, how to, how to um, be your own source. So um, when it comes to state management, I would say the single most important aspect of this is listening to yourself. One of my favorite phrases and my most important course correction ideas is to go where the life is. So where is the life? And, when you, and you have to sniff it out. You have to sense it out because it's always subtle. It's always nuanced. Where is life for you? What will enhance your experience of life? If you were to really listen and pay attention to what your soul desires right now, what would give you more life? What food would give you more life? What music would give you life? more life? What conversation would give you more life? What experience would give you more life? Now, the problem with those answers is they're highly impractical and um, they're not what others are suggesting you should do right now, again, which means you'll need to be internally referenced. But um, developing the ability to listen to yourself is a central part of being an adult. In fact, I think it's, I think it's resourceful variety. So the six core needs, Anthony Robbins' finest contribution says that all humans need certainty, variety, significance, love, contribution, and growth. All needs must be met at all times. The child looks outside themselves to have those needs met. The adult can bring those needs in-house. So if you were to think about the difference between unresourceful variety, which is external variety, so um, getting your need for for excitement, adventure, change, spontaneity through substances, through drama, through being late, by being messy, being disorganized, or or letting other people create chaos in your life so that there's a sense of variety to the adult version, which is planned adventure and going where the life is, that will require you to listen to yourself. What do I need right now? What would give me life? And do you prioritize your own life highly enough to listen to those answers to trust your own intuition to realize that to uh, finance and adjust time and schedules to go where the life is is not indulgent it's not selfish in fact it is the most important thing you could do because state is king so if you can't control your state you don't have any access to your outcomes so if these outcomes are important to you so is state management so is rituals and anchors so is listening to yourself One final application, just to go full circle on the model, is to then consider how listening to yourself impacts language, physiology, and focus. So if you were to pay attention, there would be an awareness around what happens when you do certain things with your body. There are certain practices, there are certain experiences. It turns out that when you go for a walk, at certain times of the day with certain people or with your with your pets that it feels different than other times of the day it turns out that wearing certain clothes feels different it impacts your state it turns out that certain foods have an impact on your state it turns out that certain chairs certain pillows certain blankets certain rooms <laughs> certain experiences They all matter. The subtle adjustments you make with your physiology, how you stand, how you walk, how you sit, the experiences you have with your physicality, they all matter. And if you pay attention, you can realize that 
there's an awful lot of data that you have access to to know the overall impact certain things have on your body. And the aim is to eradicate the things that lead to death and lean into the things that give you life. The same will be true with language. You'll notice there are certain language patterns you use which deflate you, which evaporate um, power from you, which outsource confidence, uh, which disempower you, which leave you flat, which ruin your state. There are certain ways of talking about yourself and to yourself, words you use, jokes you tell, stories you tell, ways of describing your life that have never worked for you, but you've just kind of got into a habit of using them. So to listen, to lean in, language matters. To make a decision to never use certain language again, to say, well, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to describe my situation like that. I'm not going to use that story. I'm not going to tell that joke. And then to notice the language of others. And there are times where you will have to uh, demand that a, a friend or family member don't use certain language with you either. Don't, don't say that to me. Don't say that about me. Don't tell that story. Don't tell that joke. Don't point out that flaw of mine. Don't do that. Don't say that. Because that language creates death. So to pay attention and listen to not only physiology but also language and then finally to also pay attention to focus, to notice what happens when your attention gets drawn into certain, certain preoccupations, what happens when you, when you focus on what you don't have as opposed to what you do have, what happens when you pay attention to what is missing from your life as opposed to what is plentiful. When you pay attention to problems, when you pay attention to solutions, when you pay attention to your victories over opposed, opposed to your defeats, you'll notice that you have enough data to realize that the things you pay attention to make a massive difference to your state. So when you move beyond the illusion of no choice and realize that state management is directly under your domain and you build some skill around state management, it'll change your life. It's one of the most extraordinary things to realize that you can control your state and that it matters dramatically. And when you're in a great state, you do your best work. And if you do your best work, you move closer to the things you want. And that's not only good for you, it's good for the world. If you can't control your state, you've got to wait for someone else to control it for you. You've got to de be dependent upon external stimulus. And so that leaves you powerless. Sometimes you are fortunate that the things around you go well and therefore you're in a good state when the things around you are not going well then what do you do how do you adjust your state then so look i hope that's useful uh, and if you need more go go look at that chapter of the book in elegantly simple solutions um, but i look you, you heard me talk last time on the podcast around facilitating a, a retreat using psilocybin and look, I, I wasn't going to talk more about that because I, look, I do understand it's a sensitive topic. I do understand it's also an illegal subject. So I don't want to be foolish. Um, but at the same time, I, I must share an experience I had this week where I, I had a hero dose. Uh, now, when Catherine asked me about how it was, I heard myself explaining it to her and it was like I'd, I'd been to Mars and I'd met some Martians and I'd learned a new language and I was coming back explaining the experiences and <laughs> she just had no way in to the conversation like okay that's good but I don't really know what you mean so I've, I've thought long and hard about the best way to share my experience and there are some really beautiful themes so I'll keep it high level I'll spare you all the details of my experience even though it was wondrous 
uh, and and definitely only furthered my conviction that um, a, a well facilitated psychedelic trip is one of the most important experiences um, uh, an adult can have so I'm further convinced that's the absolute truth so um, and by the way although it's illegal like that that's not a consideration other than I don't want to go to jail I don't want anyone else to go to jail so but will it stop me well no no of course not because it's a bullshit law like the war on drugs as a social experiment one of the most catastrophically destructive human experiments not not much worse or sorry not much worse than the uh, prohibition social experiment in 1927 um, but a terrible thing and so like the government are there for our protection our safety to serve us so like I've said this once before I, I said it when we when we were in the early COVID stage been given mandates around vaccines and and I said it then and I'll say it again now this is why learning to say fuck off as level three rebellion energy is an essential part of human growth if you do not learn how to say fuck off so if you to reiterate the seven levels of consciousness survival tribe rebellion system entrepreneur contribution statesmanship each level requires you to learn a lesson so that you can move on so you can take as long as you like to learn, learn the lesson and, and the longer you stay in each level, the harder it is to learn that lesson. So be, be mindful of that. And there is, no, there is no prerequisite that you will learn the lesson. So you don't actually have to keep growing. But if you would like to keep growing, then your job is to learn the lesson so that you can get what you need from that level and move on. So um, you know, when you're in level two tribe, where you are defined by a strong matriarch or patriarch, you define yourself as a collective. This is what we think. This is how we act. This is what we believe. You're not rewarded for individual thought. That's a very low level of human consciousness. So if you're going to keep growing, um, the, the answer to solve is what do you not want? What, what don't you like? What don't you agree with? Now, it comes at a huge cost because when you put your hand up and say to the tribe <coughs> or the leaders of the tribe, <coughs> Yeah, look, I don't agree with that. Uh, that. That's not how I think. Well, that's not well received. You get ostracized. You get banished from the tribe. So uh, <laughs> that's why it comes at a great cost and people don't do it. But it is an essential part of human growth because if you don't do it, then you get stuck at a very low level of thinking. So um, level three is rebellion, where you it's, it's characterized by fuck off energy, by I don't like that and I don't agree with that and don't you tell me what to do and I'm going to do it my way and my way. I, I need to do it my way. So the rebel thinks they're going to go change the world, but the rebel just makes a mess, by the way. So um, it's certainly not the height of human endeavor and consciousness because then eventually the rebel realizes that Huh, they're banging their head on lack of resources and limited connection, limited opportunity, and they're all alone. And they realize that not everyone's an idiot and people have gone before them. And so the lesson to learn from rebellion to move back into system is, uh, well, who can I trust? Whose wisdom? Where, where is wisdom and where can I find it? How can I submit to wisdom? 
So then you go find a way, you submit to a way, you find someone who's devoted their life to solving a problem and you, you do it their way. You do it at a higher level than tribe, by the way, because you're rewarded for responsibility. You get to play a part. You get to be more of an adult. But you're still, you're still serving someone else's vision and serving someone else's agenda and playing by someone else's rules. So then eventually, if you keep growing, you move into entrepreneurship, which is the level of problem solving and creativity and exchanging, moving from time for money to products and services. So it's similar to rebellion but different because now it's about what you do want rather than what you don't want. Um, but I've talked to many people who are trying to push into level five entrepreneurship and bring their big idea to the world and they've never taught anyone to fuck off. Like they haven't gone through rebellion. Their world's been too clinical, too safe. They've only had people support them and believe in them. They've never had to go it alone. And so they're still paralyzed by what will others think about me and I gotta play by the rules. So if you're gonna be an entrepreneur, you cannot play by the rules. You are breaking rules because you there must be a better way that's the point of being an entrepreneur. What is, yes, this has been the accepted thinking for this, but but th- there is a better way. There is an evolution in our thinking and ability to do this even better. What's the next version, the better version? Um, so look, back to the government. So government's level four. Um, they keep people safe, great, but, but they also keep people away from entrepreneurship because it serves governments for people to not think for themselves, to just realize, to just think that their chance for freedom is in retirement. So they get invested into a mortgage and a superannuation plan and, and they buy into the rhetoric that they, you know, they couldn't survive without a wage and so they give away their power to the government and just do what they're told. So the government says, no, no, psychedelics are bad, they're illegal. And they go, okay, well, if you say so, then I better not go down that path. Um, but hang on a minute, but hang on, hang on. You, if you take a step back and have a look at when they were made illegal, why they were made illegal, what they really is, you go, well, that's a law that suits governments, that suits the system because there are consciousness-expanding uh, drug. They're a naturally occurring, consciousness-expanding window into the cosmos. So people who have a lovely experience with psychedelics come back changed they come back enlarged they come back less likely to operate in the system so that's not good for system so it's a law that's self-serving so to go okay well fuck off like you can tell me i'm not allowed but that just because you say i can't do it doesn't mean i actually can't do it and if I've already gone through level three rebellion, it's not it's not rebellion energy now to say I'm still going to do it. And I, and I think the reason why I'm saying it to you and the reason why I'm you know I'm carefully considered considering the risk around this, it's not even entrepreneur energy. It's contribution energy. It's saying this is bigger than me, not even about me. So this is not about a business model. I don't seek to gain anything from this. This is an important contribution that this substance is part of the grace for mankind at a very precarious part in human history this is a very important resource and so to play my part in making this resource available by creating safety by helping people think through uh, what safety would look like for them because there there are many people i've spoken to who have written off drugs as forbidden and who play by the rules and so if the government says these substances are banned and illegal well then they must be bad without any further thought 
So to not consider are there different types of drugs? Are there times when drugs may not be bad? Is there a way of thinking about this that is still safe and mature? Um, or will I just put this in the forbidden basket? So my contribution is to bring it out of the forbidden basket and have an intelligent conversation about when and where it belongs. And my personal experience last week confirmed the fact that in the context of internal safety, not only this belongs, not only does a, a psychedelic experience belong, but it is uh, a beautiful gift. And, and I would say one of the most important experiences a human could have. So if that's possible, then it's something that if you could, then why wouldn't you? So, um, so here are three things that, that I experienced in this trip, and they're not dissimilar to uh, what others have spoken about. So just to give you my version. So the first thing is to have the self dissolved. That's talked about quite frequently, that you disappear inside a trip. Now, I, I was already prepared for that because I've known for some time that all I have is story. So I'm a subjective being, I'm a storyteller, I'm a sense-making creature. I go into the world, I have an experience, then I have to decide what it means and I create a narrative to make sense. So that narrative isn't real, it's a story about what's real. So if I identify with that story, I'll miss the point and I'll create danger for myself because I'll tie myself to something that's a work of fiction. So when I first discovered that, maybe 12, 14, 13, some time ago it rocked my world it knocked me off my axis I felt so unstable and so uncertain um, but coming to terms with that it's been one of the most liberating and beautiful things I've ever discovered and so to go into a psychedelic trip and very early into that experience go oh my goodness I'm not here who, who is Jamin where is Jamin and, and just so, it was so funny to feel that to have self-talk within this experience and then be like hang on a minute who is talking here? Who is talking to who? And who is listening to the person talking? And who is watching the person talking? And who's watching the person watching? Like, I don't know. I can't tell. Um, and just like, oh my goodness, I'm not here. I'm not who I think I am. Now, you've heard me, if you've listened to the podcast at all, you know I love Sadhguru and his meditation. I am not their body. I am not even their mind. I love that. And so I believe that I agree with that. And so when I go into a trip to find that's real, great, I'm ready for that. That does not shock me. That delights me. And and then I, I'm free to see more about the life in me that is currently known as Jamin Fraser, but isn't actually Jamin Fraser. And so I got to see myself in all kinds of different versions. I love a great TV series. I love a great movie where there's a strong character. And, and I'm often moved by those characters. So in this trip, I see myself as those characters. Oh my goodness, I'm Ryan Gosling. Or I'm a character that Ryan Gosling played. Oh my goodness, I'm Will Ferrell. Oh my goodness, I'm the three main characters out of Rogue Heroes. I am them. Oh, Wow. Uh, so I can be anyone who I want to be. Now, if you haven't had the experience of already coming to terms with the dissolution of self, then to have that taken from you would create such chaos that you will have a bad trip. So I would not recommend you doing that. I, I think this is why people have horrific experiences because the ground gets pulled away from you. And if there is no internal safety, if you're not prepared for that, look out. That will not be fun. That will be so unsettling. Uh, but it's a beautiful thing to realize 
that you're not real. <laughs> not terrifying at all, just lovely. And so um, when I kind of got to experience that I'm not real, well then what is real was the question. Now this is a little hard to explain, but I'll try anyway. So uh, I think this is this is a big part of why uh, you know experts in this space say that music is a very important part of a psychedelic trip, like a, a properly facilitated one. So you're not this is not a party drug. You're not ex- in, you know exploring an escape. You are inviting and surrendering a meaningful spiritual experience. And so to take it seriously, to have respect, would be to lay down in a dark room with an eye mask on and listen to music either classical music, meditation music, or trance music. And that music provides a very important part of the experience. And so um, the first time I did LSD a couple of years ago, that was the profound experience. You know, at the heart of it, I, I can't tell if I'm listening to the music or I'm feeling the music or if I am, in fact, the music. And for an hour, I'm caught up in this awareness that I am the music and God is the music. I am the music and God is the music. And so that changed my life because that's real. That, that, that now is real. Jamin Fraser, who's he? i got no idea. But I am the music and God is the music. And, and then what is this music that plays inside me? Well, it's a music around being a good human being. And that's, that's beautiful music. It's a music that says um, it is our primary responsibility to work out how to be a good human first and then include and transcend that humanity into a spirituality rather than trying to escape our humanity through a religious experience or a psychedelic experience or other drug-related experiences. Uh, and and I, I, I love that, that that awareness came through a psychedelic trip. Um, so, so in this trip, I'm not real, but music is real. Music is real. And I, I feel it as the realest, truest thing I can experience. And I, and I come out of it I'm thinking about music and I'm processing it and I have this awareness that music is true but not all music is equal. So that might be difficult to comprehend but but I think you you kind of have an in you'd, you'd have an intuition that that's true too. So there is music that is more life-giving and more true than 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 other music. There's some music that is dour that is um, that clashes. It's that's made of discord. And then there's other music that is beautiful and draws you in and captivates you and impacts your soul. So um, my personal experience of this, I would say, you know, being at a Coldplay concert, um, Chris Martin as a musician, his, his life and the purity of his humanity shines through in his music and he writes songs that are beautiful, that are anthemic, that draw people into life. Sky Full of Stars, um, Paradise, you know, Charlie Brown, those, those songs, you cannot help but dance, you cannot help but feel that music. Um, I think Foo Fighters to a lesser extent, but part of their success is that Dave Grohl is a beautiful human being. You, you listen to his storyteller book and you kind of realise that Many of his musician friends got lost in drugs and alcohol and got caught up in the darkness of music, in some of the really dark forms of metal that never appealed to, to Dave Grohl. He, he found music was so life-giving and lent into that side of it. And so his songs 
the melodies he writes, the lyrics he writes, I would say are a, are a pure and truer form of music. So um, I, I can remember being at a, an orchestra performance in Townsville. There was a quartet of very highly skilled, world-renowned musicians playing. Um, and it was, a, it was a horrible experience. I remember being so excited about hearing world-class musicians. And it felt like you know, a giant wank. These, these four musicians were self-indulgent. They were playing strange music that was very nuanced. You couldn't, you couldn't engage. It didn't resonate. It was, uh, they were showing off. They were, they were proving how good they were. They weren't bringing their gift to the world in any meaningful way. So when you hear music that's true, you get caught up in it. And in that way, it's a universal experience. It doesn't matter what language you are, what culture, what, what background. You're one with the world when you hear good music. And so music was true, but uh, surprising. And I already had a sense of that from the last trip. But, but in this trip, I also got to see that laughter is true. Um, that's a little more difficult to explain. But again, I reckon you might have an intuition that this is accurate. So when, when a, a crowd or even an individual laughs spontaneously, laughs from their belly, like it is, a, it is an instinctive response. Something rises up in them and explodes as laughter. It is pure. It is delightful. It is joyful. And it's real. It's true. It, it unites us. It, it gathers us. When people laugh together, it doesn't matter what language, what culture, what sex, what age. It's the shortest path between two people is laughter. It's the safest, most rapport-building experience. It softens. It, it brings down walls. And so not all laughter is equal, just like all, not all music is equal. But it speaks to something true. So you can have forced laugh. You can have fake laugh. You can have laughter that's a kind of self-deprecating. Um, it's all forms of what's true, but but real laughter, laughter that is um, spontaneous and breaks forth from you is true and real. So while you're not real, music is real and laughter is real. And when you have an experience of that, my goodness, the wonder of that and the freedom of that. Um, so that, that were the two things, um, dissolution of self and laughter and music. And the third thing was... Um, I don't know whether you saw a, a news item in the last fortnight about a guy at a theme park watching the world's fastest roller coaster whiz by and he paid attention when the carriage went past him and he noticed that as it whizzed past the beam, um, there was a crack in the beam and it, it separated when the carriage went past and then came back together. And he's like, I don't think that's supposed to be like that. So he filmed it, put it on Facebook and... Um, And then shared it with the people running the park and they, they appropriately shut down the park. And so I got taken to that experience when I'm right in the heart of the trip. And, and the fun of it was I got to zoom out from that experience. And so I see this guy sitting on a park bench. He's convinced he's in a place of safety watching people who are in great danger. But if you zoom out, I, I discover that he's not safe at all. He's, he's actually also on a roller coaster ride whizzing at breakneck speeds and the support beam holding that roller coaster up is also cracked. He is in great danger. 
And then the people who are looking at Facebook, watching him watch the roller coaster, they think they're sitting at home in their lounge room, totally safe. They're not safe either. They also, if you zoom out far enough, they also are on a roller coaster, whizzing around at breakneck speed, and the support beams holding that up is also cracked. And if you keep zooming out, you see each of us are on this blue-green ball spinning through the cosmos at breakneck speed, precariously placed. The support brains all cracked. At any one moment, life could end as we know it. Literally, that is our situation. There is no safety. There is no safety. None. It doesn't exist. Helen Keller was right. It's a superstition. It's not real. <laughs> so therefore, playing it safe is no safer than having a crack. It's, it's an illusion. And to see that and to see the joy of that and the humor of that and to laugh my belly about that and know that laughter is true at the same time. Um, it was a breathtaking experience, a wondrous experience. And uh, I'm committed to facilitating more of those experiences in the world. So look, I hope that's useful. Oh, and that is a, that is why intuitively I know music belongs on this podcast, right? Because music is true. Music is true. It's one of the only things that is true, and it is true, and it, and it belongs. So there you go. I experimented with no music, but too bad. Music's staying on this podcast from now till the end of time, till, the, till I stopped on this podcast. There will be music on this podcast. There it is. I've decided. All right, I'll leave it there. Talk to you soon. <laughs>